This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. A quick note before the show. This podcast contains explicit language. What is 21 Savage's American Dream? It's New Music Friday, and that's the question we're going to try to crack on this episode. We normally talk about brand new albums, but last week, after five years, one of hip-hop's most consistent stars returned, and there's a lot to unpack. I'm Sheldon Pierce, an editor at NPR Music. I'm joined by NPR Music's Sydney Madden and Rodney Carmichael. Hey guys. What up? Sheldon, what's up? Turn my headphone down a little bit. Yeah. December of 2018, the Atlanta rapper released his last solo album, I Am Greater Than I Was. Yeah. But only two months later, he was taken into custody by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, an arrest that revealed to the public that he was a British national with an expired non-immigrant visa. How much money you got a lot? How much money you got a lot? How many problems you got a lot? Now, he's back with American Dream his first album since his arrest. Bulletproof my car, yeah. He a home by them is yard, yeah. Go to clubs and let down that guard. We got choppers out until we find somewhere to park. We didn't know this record was coming, uh, but it arrives suddenly with a ton of info, a trailer, a new video. They ain't giving me a name. Just number 21. That's like savages. We're here to talk about the album, where it fits into the 21 story, and the expectations looming around that release. It feels like any conversation about the album has to start with the ice arrest. What do you guys remember about that day? I remember it being wild because the Super Bowl was in Atlanta that year. I was in D.C. at the time, but I just remember, obviously, it being huge news. The city, I mean, the world had come to to Atlanta for, for this huge sports event. And one of the biggest rap stars of the city, definitely on, on, the, on a steep incline, uh, got locked up. And this was a week before he was supposed to perform at the Grammys for the first time. So... It was really like, what the hell is going on in Atlanta? You know, especially because we didn't know at the time that it was uh, federal. I mean, we found out pretty quickly, but yeah, it was wild. At that time, an ICE spokesperson told Rolling Stone that 21's whole public persona was false, sort of hinting at this idea that him being a British national somehow invalidated everything that he had rapped in his music up until that point, which had been known for being sort of first-person shooter directed and and very autobiographical. Um, In the wake of that incident, his status remained up in the air for many years, and his case was postponed. And then finally, in October of last year, he confirmed he officially become a U.S. resident and in touring London celebrated a homecoming of sorts, if you could call it that. There are questions amidst all that of what the American dream means today. Um, The intro with 21's mom sort of makes clear that this is in part a response to that initial perception of him being born in Britain, erasing the Atlanta trap lineage. 
Sydney, I'm curious what you made of that response and what it says about our understanding of authenticity in rap. So the ideology of the American dream, I feel, has changed so much from 21's mom's generation to his own. So she's from Dominica, which is one of the countries that was under one of the former British West Indies. So you have like Jamaica, Bahama, St. Lucia. You go to these spaces and you feel the remnants of that colonization, uh, whether it's on the faces on the money or the national holidays you get off or the social structures that are in place that allow you to have pathways and communities solidified in the UK. I mean, it's, it's not a coincidence that there's almost a million documented Jamaicans in London alone, right? So making the move, making the migration path to the UK and to the US involved a lot of uh, communal structures, but also a lot of sacrifice. And as someone who is a child of a Caribbean immigrant myself, like you gonna hear about the sacrifice, right? And I think the ice arrest, like I was saying, it made it known to fans that he was British in a way that almost ripped it away from his own personal narrative. Like it, it thrust him into being this, this face and this, um, almost this martyr for the ICE immigration that was that's going on in this country in the last few years in the wake of this happening. I would argue that now, for tw- at 31 years old, to be able to leave the country and move freely outside of the U.S., that is really what symbolizes a lot more of the American dream for him, you know, like to leave, yeah. to not be under such constraints <laughs> and pressure and constant surveillance and kind of hiding in plain sight in a way that he has been for so long. So, yeah, having that green card and being able to move freely, it's kind of the uh, the inverse of what his mother's generation thought the American dream would mean and would be. Being able to escape America. Yeah, that's that's an interesting American dream, no doubt. <laughs> I think it's one that more people occupy than ever. With the police state we're living under here, I mean, this is not to say the grass is greener everywhere, but I feel so much of what he talks about in this album, losing so many friends, um, only having photos or like memories of joking with his friends, uh, looking around and not being able to trust people because he doesn't have that support system he once had, uh, you know, figuring out how cheap it is to get a gun in his area and what that power can mean, what that violence can mean. He even talked about on uh, Dark Days having suicidal thoughts. These are all consequences of him living in the incredible inequality and inequity that is very uniquely American and and is what a lot of American systems run off of. So I feel naming the album American Dream is kind of this satirical strategy to show its inverse effect. To your point, Sydney, there's a lot of sort of underlying paranoia in a lot of these raps. Um, You would think with a title like American Dream that he would sort of lean a little bit heavier into maybe 
uh, the rags to riches story that uh, he has lived. I mean, it's it's in some of the bars, but I think honestly, there's probably less flexing on this record than previous records. He seems sort of intent on at least pointing to everything that he has had to endure in his transition to America in growing up here, um, in being an immigrant, learning the ways of his community. He, he is an American and he knows what it means to suffer here. The idea that he has somehow not experienced the American struggle and the American dream simply because his parents are from somewhere else is to totally erase everything that his music is really about, I think. The album was announced with a short film that featured the Stranger Things star Caleb McLaughlin and Donald Glover, uh, weirdly, as, as 21, in a movie trailer-style album teaser. Nobody seemed to know if it was a real movie or if it was promo for the record. We reached out to 21's reps for comment and they didn't respond. Whether it's for an actual movie or simply a preview of what the record would be, and despite the like almost surrealist idea of Donald playing 21, who is like 10 years his junior, uh, in like this flashback, the video is serious in tone and it feels like an origin story of sorts with scenes from his immigration battle. Um, do you all feel like the music on this record is in line with the sort of biopic feel of those visuals? Um, not really. I think there is a certain expectation with the title and with that that trailer, uh, if that's what it is, that there would be some sort of origin story vibe to it. But I mean, maybe maybe it's his whole discography that we have to rely on for that, you know, because a lot of that has, well, besides the immigration part of his origin story, <laughs> a lot, a lot of that, a lot of his East Side Atlanta Decatur Glenwood story has has um you know has been in his music you know has animated his his music and his persona as an artist so um so yeah we we don't get as much of that as as might be expected by the title, which is an interesting choice. I'm still trying to parse why and what that means. But yeah, I think there is a little bit of schism between the expectation and what we end up getting because of that. Yeah, I really thought going in to it with the title and with that, um, are we calling it a trailer? Uh, there was going to be more overt mentions of of the of the last few years of the immigration story infused. But then I kind of started, as I'm listening to it, I'm kind of starting to question my own expectation and my own um, presumptions in that. Because it reminded me of uh, in 2018 when Meek Mill, in the wake of his probation violation and so much rallying around him for that, a lot of people started to look for him, look to him as a criminal justice reform advocate, right? Yeah. It was kind of thrust upon him that he was now a face, a figurehead, um, a beacon, when really he was just the rule and not the exception. The only exception was that he, 
he was famous. He had a rap career, right? Yeah. Um, I think it feels a lot similar to that. It's like, yeah, 21 is meeting with his lawyers (laughs) however times, on the weekly, on the daily, on the monthly. He's doing everything he needs to do um, in terms of touring within his parameters in the U.S. and, and... Whatever whatever stipulations are upon him to get his green card. And then he's like, all right, that period is over. Like, that's really... I'm doing what I need to do. I'm not becoming a spokesperson for everything that's happening with uh, the immigrant struggle in the U.S. right now. That's what it really feels like to me. I think there's a lot of other moments of sequencing and cohesion that bring this album together like the amount of soul and r&b samples that kind of ground a lot of his grittier stuff a lot of his grittier lines it really sounds like he's having a lot of conversations with himself so much because how i mentioned before so many people around him are not physically in his space anymore like he's lost so many friends so many brothers and I mean, there's moments in here that you can clearly tell are trying to be like a pop radio swing. Um, I would say those aren't the brightest spots on the album, but I don't think the through way of his struggle to quote unquote become American is as necessary as what I thought it was when I was going into it. Yeah, I I think that's fair. Like he in throughout his records has always there's always a line here or there that he slips in where it's like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of going through it. Um, and there there are subtle references to his situation. There's a reference to spending half a million dollars on dismissals. There's a lot of times where he makes explicit like I'm I can't remember him saying the words grew up on the east side more than he does on this record there's at least like four different songs where it's like in the hook i grew up on the east side where it's dangerous um and there's an explicit reference to his green card situation and a threat to uh sort of take out anybody who keeps bringing up where he was born as if that like sort of defines his story i'm wondering Where do you all think this album fits into his discography? I've always sort of been partial to the Savage Mode stuff because I feel he and Metro have this incredible chemistry. Uh, They work really well together. Uh, But as far as solo albums, I Am Greater Than I Was seemed to represent such a huge leap for him as a rapper and an artist, I felt. It seemed like he had such command over what he wanted his sound to be and how he wanted to present his story to the world on that record. And after five years, I'm not sure he makes the same strides on this record. It feels like very uh, definitively like a 21 Savage album, for better and for worse. Um, but I'm curious what, what you guys make of this as a, as a part of his career arc. I mean, I think that, um, yeah, I think he's made better albums. I I I think I'm I'm kind of stuck between torn between his first studio album and his second. That it's an album was really strong to me. Um, there's still some of my favorite songs on there like Numb, Nothing New, and in a lot of ways when you listen to this album, 
like Sid mentioned, there there are some pop strides happening on this album that, you know, feel a little hit or miss. Um, he doesn't sound as menacing as he used to sound, you know, and that used to be like his calling card. Like he was probably the most menacing sounding, you know, artist in rap, you know, at a particular point in time. He sounded, um, you know, he kind of had that 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 dead eye glare and and you know the the knife tattoo on the <laughs> on the forehead you know what i'm saying it's a knife it's a knife <laughs> <laughs> i think i know y'all right you know and in a lot of ways, it felt often like when you listen to 21 that he was numb, you know, like that was kind of his his aesthetic in a lot of ways. And it almost sounds like he's in some ways, you know, he's enjoyed an, an amount of success and, and probably distanced himself from a lot of the trauma that he experienced growing up. You know, a lot of that trauma that's really heavy in his discography early on through those early mixtapes, yeah. through recent. those first couple of albums where he's literally talking about everything he survived growing up off of Glenwood or growing up over here in Decatur. Um, he's put enough. Yeah, he's put enough distance between who he was then and who he is now. And you can see it, honestly, when you see images of him now, you know, you see the the you know his hair's grown longer and you know may i don't know if the knife tattoo is still there if it's covered up by the locks or if it's you know if he i don't know you know what i mean but that's not the image of vibe you get you don't get that dead-eyed glare from 21 savage anymore and you don't hear that same that same um numbness or that same menace in his voice either which is a good thing but it means for him as an artist how do you evolve into something different when that's kind of the persona that you created for yourself? You know, it's the classic question in hip hop, right? Like, you know, do we care if Jay-Z is rapping about anything other than being a street hustler? You know, how do you evolve and, and, and grow with, with the, with the genre? Um, especially a genre that on mainstream level has become so narrow in terms of what is, is, you know, accepted or acceptable as like, you know, a, a good storyline or, or a good persona and that kind of thing. So I, 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 as even though I'm not really connecting like that with this album right now, I do like that. He seems to be coming out of some of that darkness that really, you know, that really pervaded and, you know, it was just really heavy in his early stuff. But, but I do think that trying to figure out, where he goes from here and what kind of how he, how his persona evolves from here is going to be something that we're going to have to keep watching for and he's going to have to you know keep showing us he he has become a hip-hop superstar in the last five years um the controversy and getting caught up in this arrest being one of the building blocks of that right and to your point rodney about not feeling the dead-eyed menacing like numbness in a way it's like when you become when you get to that level 
like some of those ed- those edges get buffed out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, him going to Aliante is a regular Tuesday now when it used to be goals. You know what I'm saying? And with new levels, of course, come new devils all the time. <laughs> but I think he's in a moment where there is that that distance from the trauma, which is uh, what you can hear in some of him being more observant and forward facing to these things now versus when he was you know just recently going through it it would be real real quick and like real this is what made me cold-hearted you know i think um it comes with not only getting older and maturing but also the level of success that he's been able to attain for himself even if it doesn't have that same calling card that his earlier tapes had it actually is a blessing to grow out of that space you know as a human being as a person and now the space he occupies is one of the prominent most prominent most uh respected rappers most respected voices in hip-hop so that's why when he's dropping songs like letters to my brother which is addressing thug and one of the biggest cases happening right now in hip-hop it's it's one of those things that make people all of hip-hop stop and listen you cross that line it ain't no trying to fix it you want me to forgive you let's be realistic i can't kick it with your kind like i tore my meniscus how you go from cold offending to a witness they'll stand on couches with you but won't stand on business yeah i mean there's there's a line towards the literal end of the record which seems to like sum up the place he's in where he's like this is what growth looks like no more committing crimes i made a way for us and i think it's sort of hard to maintain that menace when you are so clearly seeking comfort and seeking solace like there's only so long you can stay like active on edge and and ready to jump at a moment's notice before that gets to you that's that's a that's a tense state of affairs, and I, I think now he is clearly trying to make strides to move in a more comfortable direction. It feels a bit like he's, he's he knows what a 21 Savage album is supposed to do, and so he's like, all right, I'm going to deliver a 21 Savage album for you guys, but also, like, I I live in comfort now. I, I, I know what the good life feels like, so, so I'm a little bit more relaxed. Um... And also, you know, I mean, there are there are lines like where he's like, I, I heard on the inside and I still act fine. I think that's a part of it, too. Like constantly sort of bearing the weight of your pain for the public at all times is difficult. I mean, there's another line about that early on where he's like, it's I mean, it's hard to put pain in these raps. He's, he says something along those lines. And it's like he's he's been doing this for a long time now. Um, he's, he's still young, but I mean, he's what, like almost almost a, a, a nine eight nine years in um so so it's hard to stay in that same mode forever i i give him i commend him for you know as sid said trying to move more in the pop lane he's, he's trying to step over he's like okay I, I i know what you guys want uh but there is also something that i need as i move forward from this but some of this feels like a transition for him um and and i think it'll be interesting to see what he does going forward yeah mm-hmm. 
There's a lot to talk about, but we're gonna take a quick break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. Support for NPR and the following message come from Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs, who believes that plants and gardening are for everyone. With over 25 years of developing, trialing, and testing some of the most recognized flowering shrubs and evergreens on the market, Proven Winners Color Choice makes it easy to transform dull yards into vibrant, colorful landscapes. Ready to spruce up your yard this spring? Proven Winners Color Choice created the Gardening Simplified Landscape Guide to help you get started with tried and true elements of good planting design. Identify the roles you want new plants to play in your outdoor space, like ground covers, climbers, or attracting pollinators. Then browse garden plans and see which layouts and plants can bring your vision to life. Proven Winners Colored Choice Shrubs are available in the distinctive white containers at garden centers nationwide. Learn more at provenwinnerscoloredchoice.com NPR. This message comes from Schwab. It's easy to invest in ideas you believe in with Schwab Investing Themes, like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, and electric vehicles. Choose from over 40 customizable themes. More at schwab.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, working to create access to opportunity for people and communities by tackling tough social and environmental problems. More information is at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. We're back. We're here to talk about 21 Savages' American Dream. There were, as we've talked about, a lot of expectations on this one. I know, Rodney, you've talked about this. Uh, going through what 21 went through in the wake of the ICE arrest and the trial, um, some of that, he, he's, he's felt like he was targeted, Um in, in that operation they, that they said was about nudie. Um, but, you know, I think asking some of the things that listeners might be asking of 21, like in the wake of that, speaking truth to power, being really autobiographical, touching on like the po- political nature of his story might be a tough sell when the federal government is bearing down on you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's something worth thinking about when we think about a lot of these really huge public trials that these artists go through, um, we celebrated a lot (laughs) when it it dropped. How much money you got? A lot. How many problems you got? A lot. You know, when the performance and the video and he threw these lines in, this was all part of the growth that we were crediting 21 with at the time. It's like, wow, he's expanding his repertoire. Wow, he's doing a song with J. Cole. Wow, yeah. it's kind of like a conscious 21 song. What? <laughs> Next thing you know, he drops a line about immigrants in the song, and, and you know, he's getting hemmed up by ice. 
yeah. you know, like a week later. So going through something like that, you know, and having, you know, secured a certain level of freedom now, naming this album American Dream, um, what exactly do, do you want to do with that freedom? Do you want to continue to, you know, write the kind of rhymes that <laughs> make the fits, you know, want to come for you? Uh, do you continue to feel like speaking truth to power or, you know, what have you is, is the, is the thing to do? Or is it like, man, Hey, I got the freedom to live comfortably. Now I got the freedom to distance myself from the authorities who've been chasing me all my life now. Um, I think that is worth considering the kind of uh, sacrifices that come along with expecting an artist to bear the brunt of that kind of uh, responsibility, you know, and especially an artist like 21 who, who, who wasn't, you know, a political art artist in, 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 in any kind of overt way to begin with, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, you know, back in the day, um, public enemy Chuck D used to call, you know, rap, you know, black America, CNN, you know, it was it was like reporting the news. But at a certain point, it feels like there was a transition that happened with hip hop to to the point where instead of reporting the news, like artists became the news. Artists were living the news like you could see what was happening in our communities based on the what you heard in the music. Right. Like we became casualties of whatever was happening in our communities. And so when you have an artist like 21, who's a survivor, but very much in some ways, a casualty of, you know, the crack era and, and, and the violence that, you know, has continued to plague uh, certain communities, um, you know, being able to survive that, and being able to get as far away from that as possible and get your people as far away from that as possible, you know, that might be American dream enough. Like he, he might not feel like he needs to be some kind of flag bearer for a certain kind of uh, truth or a certain kind of political pushback um, because it obviously comes with a cost, you know, and that's a, that's a cost that he's paid over the past five or six years. And it's a high cost to ask of anybody. I'm with you. I don't I don't think it's the artist's responsibility to be an activist. And I also don't think an it's an artist's responsibility to like share the most private parts of their life with their public if they don't want to. But I I do sort of sympathize with any fan who sort of saw the roll out to this record and expected to hear a different record than they got. Um because 21 is clearly an album artist he he is definitely purposeful in every decision that he has made in his career and from album one to album two there was such clear growth um you have a five-year delay between the last album and this album and so much has happened in his life between those two albums and then you get this album and it's not much different from the last album. In fact, you could argue that it is in some ways a regression from the last one because the last one was so rich um, and so punchy at times. And I will say it there is a nature of storytelling that could have been found in this immigration story um, 
sort of that could have maybe potentially elevated this record in a way that it currently doesn't move. Um, he could have found another aspect of himself in that side of his story. And I think maybe there's an argument to be made that the music suffers because he isn't willing to go there. Um, I'm not angry that he didn't go there, but you always want an artist to sort of push themselves. And that feels like a space that he could have mined um, maybe a bit better. Um, but, you know, with that said, there is one song in particular on this record that is so clear and concise in that way. Sydney, you mentioned it. It's Letter to My Brother. Um, it's the second verse is sort of 21 at his most heartfelt and vulnerable. Uh, Rodney, I know this song stuck out to you. Um, he has always displayed a sort of subtle sensitivity here. There's sort of references to the friend Johnny that he lost in his teens and his mother having to shop for clothes off the racks at TJ Maxx. What are you hearing here when you listen to this record? Yeah, this is like you said, the best part of 21 Savage to me. That that's the thing about dude is he he does have this he's he on the surface he is this always been kind of this menacing artist who, you know, um, you know, seemed to be always projecting himself as the the person committing the violence versus yeah. being a victim. Um but when you listen deeply, especially every now and then he has a song yeah. where the vulnerability is right there on top. You know what I mean? And and you realize that he's as much a, a victim as he is a villain um, or as he portrays himself to be a villain. And um, and this is one of those joints, you know, like numb from 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 uh, it's a it's an album, man. Like you can just hear him uh, telling telling like survivor stories. And, and there's a certain amount of survivors uh, guilt that goes along with it. And. And obviously, you know, the first half of that song is is him, you know, speaking pretty directly, but indirectly <laughs> to to everything that's going on in the YSL trial here in Atlanta, you know, in terms of Young Thug and 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 Gunna, because he talks about what it's like to trade on your brother and 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 uh, you know, these are a lot of the the street allegations, the cultural allegations that, that Gunner's facing. So it's, it's, it's hard to, to hear that first verse and, and not immediately think of anybody other than that, even though he never actually says anybody's name. His album, just in, just in terms of like what came out this week or what came out last week, or what has come out so far in the world of hip hop, like it's the biggest album so far this year, right? And to address directly slash indirectly the, Rodney, as you were saying, the cultural implications of how hip hop, a lot of the culture is divided on Gunna's validity in this case right now, like whether or not he did snitch or whether he, like there's a line, how you go from a co-defendant to a fucking witness, they'll stand on couches, but they won't stand on business. Like that's very clear. And Thug dropped an album late last year. uh, And he has a verse on, on this album too. It's very, it's very clear that there's, in this verse specifically, there are lines being drawn in the sand. You know, they're literally being put on record, put on wax for 
everyone to know, um, for everyone to catalog and hear. Um, the fact that he has Mariah the Scientist on one of the last songs on the album, Mariah the Scientist, who is the partner currently of Young Thug, like it's very clear that allegiances and sides are being picked here and for him to do it on an album that he knows is gonna get a lot of eyes and ears on it, I think that's telling of where the rest of this year is gonna go and how hip hop is going to uh, digest and continue to debate the validity of not only the case, but where Gunna's allegiances are. Yeah, I mean. It's a big deal even as he continues, to your point, to move into a new strata that he still finds himself, like, grappling with what is, like, maybe street-level ethics. The YSL Rico trial has been the biggest ongoing story, not in only in Atlanta rap, but in wider rap. But there, it's, in a way, it's a microcosm of another war sort of being waged against rap lyrics in court, which is a lot of, there are a lot of Young Thug songs being played in his trial, sort of being used to convict him as this gang leader um, and killer. And the, those lyrics are being taken, taken at face value. And here on this record, 21 is clearly thinking of his stuff in that broader context. I mean, on Dark Days, he raps, Heard they liking love for what they put in rhymes. Standing on it, I'm still writing mine. Heard they locking up niggas for what they put in their rhymes. Standing on this shit, fuck it, I'm still writing mines. And, you know, it's interesting to think of 21's music in this context specifically because he is, as we've talked about, an autobiographical rapper um, who really puts himself at the center of all of his narratives. But in December, he told Rolling Stone that his lyrics are mostly fiction, that, you know, some it's some based on real life, but it's a lot of, as he put it, creative stories. And, you know, that kind of hedging uh, it, to, to sort of like pre uh, prevent self-incrimination when you've spent so much of your music on the front foot. And even in this, in this verse are saying that you're standing on what you write is sort of interesting. I'm curious, how do you hear his lyrics with all of that in mind? I mean, see, this this is partly what, what I'm thinking about, too, in terms of what we feel is maybe lacking from the album, right? Because the truth is, we don't know exactly everything that went down in this immigration case. We don't know exactly what, you know, his his and his lawyer's narrative was in defense. Um, we don't know exactly what the timelines were. We heard a lot of speculation early on publicly about his timelines in terms of when he came here the first time and, you know, whether he went back at some point and then came again. It's interesting that as, as, as thorough as that Rolling Stone uh, profile is it's a great profile by the way um it just really shows so much about where he is mentally and and it's just a lot of other pieces in there that i really love um it doesn't get super detailed in terms of fleshing out his timeline in terms of you know when he came to america and how long he was here or if he 
went back at some point and came back again. Um, and so to me, the fact that we don't hear 21 going into super detail himself about all of that stuff, it's just like, hey, yeah, you know, I I'm I'm I was born over there, now I'm over here. I grew up over here. I'm east I'm east side all day, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, right. and then on top of that, we hear all of this, you know, they're using your lyrics against you. Um, you know, what have you, what have you. It's like, okay, this this stuff is is probably still ongoing to a certain extent. I mean, statute of limitations, I don't know what that is on immigration cases, but we know a whole lot of former drug dealing rappers. You know, Jeezy, he just released his memoir late last year, finally telling all of his stories pre-BMF and during the BMF years. And he said, literally, it was about statute of limitations. He didn't want to talk about a lot of that stuff, even though he would reference it heavily autobiographically in his music. You know, he wasn't trying to give up specific stories and details and people and connections and timelines, you know. So the fact to me that we don't hear more of that in in this album, but that he's super aware that people other than hip hop fans are listening and taking notes. I mean, I'm just kind of putting two to two together and, and assuming that that might have a little something to do with it. Exactly. It's giving... New levels, new devils. It's giving media <laughs> training. And right. it is a, it's truly an act of self-preservation because also within that ambiguity, that's the, the that also breeds the questions that makes you want to lean in and like more enticing as a fan. So him walking the line between fact and fiction so much, that's what makes that's what makes you go in and like Wanna, I was about to say print out the lyrics, but we don't print out lyrics anymore, y'all. We don't have the booklets anymore. Um, You know, that's what makes you go on genius and look at what all those double entendres mean. Like, that's what has people in the chat, you know, it gets the people going. I think that's very much still (laughs) part of the appeal. Um, I think it's a great point you made, Rodney, about statute of limitations. I think, yeah, when he's on his truly... Um, fully insulated, fully free victory lap when he's, you know, put in the OG category, that's when we'll hear a lot of the stories come out. But I think he's still, as someone who, like I said, like I've said before, is newly minted in this superstar status. He knows what it's going to cost um, to to stay there and to stay safe in there. And that comes with, you know, being a little sly, being a little tongue in cheek sometimes. And yeah, hella media training so that the timeline isn't as concrete as, you know, (laughs) some ops would like. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the right to remain silent is there to, to protect you as a defendant. So, I mean, (laughs) it, it makes sense that he would lean into that. It's also like, Setting the record straight for for the public, it, it that cuts through the mystery. Yeah. yeah. Cut the bullshit. I mean, so so much of what is interesting about a lot of Twenty One songs is he's like this skulking, shadowy figure moving through them, um, and, and leaning into that sort of villain characterization. Part of it is being masked up. It's being unidentifiable. 
It's it's being the dude rounding the corner before you even know what hit you. It's, there's very sort of horror movie vibes to a lot of it. And I think about Without Warning, which like leaned specifically into that. It was released on Halloween. Uh, it had a lot of sort of spooky samples. And so like that is the, the 21 charm is wrapped up in all of that. And I think it's sort of important for him to always lean into that. Maybe the time will come when he will feel the need to divulge all of all that he has sort of gone through in his life. He's lived a very interesting life, obviously, but when he decides to tell that story should be entirely up to him. American Dream is out now on Epic Records. My thanks to Rodney Carmichael and Sidney Madden. No doubt. Appreciate you, man. Thanks, Sheldon. When I first got here, they didn't give me a name. Just number 21. Treated us like savages. That's it. That's your name. Savage 21. 21 Savage. American Dream is already out, but there's a ton of new music that came out today, January 19th. And here's just a handful of albums from some NPR music favorites. The punk icons of Slater-Kinney completed their new album, Little Rope, after a deadly car accident involving Carrie Brownstein's mother and stepfather. Brownstein and her bandmate, Corin Tucker, found catharsis in carrying on with the recording, which wrestles with grief. MacArthur fellow Mary Halverson, a jazz guitarist known for her improvised and experimental compositions, reconnects with her sextet Amaryllis for a cloudward, music of optimism inspired by the gradual pandemic reopening. After four years, Green Day returns with its 14th album, Saviors which the band describes as a laugh-at-the-pain, weep-in-the-happiness kind of record. With two EPs under her belt, the country singer-songwriter Britney Spencer, an alum of the Baltimore School for the Arts, finally makes her debut with My Stupid Life, depicting an artist embarking on a post-therapy emotional cleanse. After scrapping an early version recorded in an L.A. studio, the pop-punk band Neck Deep recorded its new self-titled album by themselves at home in Wrexham, and its title hints at its DIY charms. In the words of the frontman Ben Barlow, they're not trying to be anything they're not. Pianist and composer Ethan Iverson leads two different trios on Technically Acceptable, which features new originals along with performances of Roberto Flax killing me softly with his song and Thelonious Monk's Round Midnight. And for his first album since 2017, the trumpeter Keon Harold, who has become a not-so-secret weapon for big-time artists like Jay-Z, Beyonce, Rihanna, Eminem, and Maxwell, steps back into the spotlight with Forever Love. Look at the sun shining Why don't you just let the sun light in I know you've been hurting, so just let the sunlight in. 
That'll do it for New Music Friday. The show is produced by Joaquin Kotler with editorial support from Jacob Gans. We'll be back next week. I'm Sheldon Pierce. Take care. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.